We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome to the Guilty Edge Charge podcast, coming to you live for an emergency live podcast on Friday afternoon. Obviously, the Chargers have decided to move on from Brandon Staley and Tom Telesco today, which uh, it was a huge step for the franchise, obviously deciding to start a new era at this current moment in time. So a uh, lot to dive into today. Tyler is unavailable tonight because of a, a Christmas party, so I hope he's having a a good time tonight. So joining me uh, are my guys, Alex and Arjun. Alex is is still in the Caribbean, but his time there is coming to an end. He'll be back in the States soon enough. Uh, Alex, what's up, man? How are you doing today? Doing good. Uh, using flying home as an excuse to not watch the Bills game live. Uh, so <laughs> I will yeah. probably miss that beat down. Uh, but it can't be much worse than this week's was, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, no, just... Huge day uh, overall. Did not expect this to be. I mean, we kind of talked about this, but we never truly expected a midseason firing until mm-hmm. honestly yesterday. And for it to happen like it did in Las Vegas, 42 0 at half, 42 you know, point loss in general, um, it just it, it needed to happen. And um, I, I think the new direction for the Chargers will be interesting to watch. So I'm sure we'll get into all that. Yeah, well, we'll get into all of that. Um, we're going to have a, a specific plan for how we want to handle 
talking about the all of the candidates you know uh arjun has already you know tweeted uh, a list of his you know preliminary rankings but tyler and i are, are wanting to really break down each of these candidates as as much as we possibly can um and so we'll do that uh you know when the time comes today so we want to keep this specific to the news of the day um and we'll we'll talk we'll dive into that in a minute here but arjun uh back home in california what's up man how are you doing today doing well um i i joked about it with you guys but i bought uh, airplane wi-fi to, just to be online in case the firing <laughs> did happen the first like two and a half hours of the flight nothing happened and i got like really tired because i stayed up late after the game last night just like going through everything and yeah. then i fell asleep for like half an hour and of course and like right at the beginning of that half hour they fire both of them and so i wake up to like 20 unread messages wake up to like you know <laughs> our our group chat kind of talking about it so yeah. you know i had the right idea just bad execution wasn't on time for it but it's okay it happens and and yeah i mean i you know obviously don't ever wish that people get fired but i, I do think this was a step in the right direction for the organization yeah, you know, first and foremost, uh, I, I did want to mention that, you know, there's a human element here. Obviously, it, it's it's a results business. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, these are human beings that are going to have to, you know, uproot their families and potentially go somewhere else, move across the country, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, so it, as human beings, obviously, you know, we wish them the best. And, you know, Tom Telesco, um, when we interviewed him, was extremely kind with his time. You know, a lot of times we interview um, specific media members or interviews with the team that we've done. It's a very rigid like time structure. And Tom Telesco said, hey, take as long as you want. Um, and he was very kind of his time. And, and that helped us kind of, you know, kick things off on the Chargers channel. So very appreciative of that. Um, but as I mentioned, at the end of the day, results are results. The Chargers have decided to move on to a new direction after last night's beatdown. We didn't do a live reaction last game. Um, you guys did the uh you guys did a twitter spaces right after the fact but i guess we can start here from a last night perspective um because this was essentially the nail in the coffin i guess the biggest question to kind of siphon through here like alex is talking about if that game was a 24 to 21 loss are we having this conversation today or do you think it was the scale of the specific game because people pointed out too yesterday you know Anthony Lynn lost 45 to zero and, and didn't lose his job. So Alex, do you think the scale of the game, the ultimate like point differential is, is really what did this in? Or do you think that this was a kind of regardless aspect of time? Like this was just the time that they were deciding and, and this was when they would do it. Or do you think it really is just kind of what happened last night was the final straw? I think last night was the final straw. I think the direction we were headed in, it would have happened at the end of the season anyway, based on, you know, kind of how the decision came down. Um, at the same time, though, I think some of the things that we were talking about last night with just like how disinterested, like, you know, players looked, how gassed they looked, tired, right? Like, and some of the things that we had seen in, in previous weeks, um, I think that it all caught up to them last night. You know, as, as much as we talk about like the 6 0 Patriots win or just some of these ugly games that like the Chargers have been playing against the Ravens and the Packers. And I think you can only take so many of those hits before guys just start to weather, whether that's literally due to injury or just mentally, right? You had the quote from Khalil Mack last week talking about, you know, who's invested, who isn't in this locker room. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that was kind of, you know, 
a divide. And, and we've seen players, you know, uh, Derwin James, who is usually very overly complimentary of Brandon Staley, usually very defensive of him. Uh, when he was asked about Brandon Staley's job status, directly said that that wasn't his business um, in his media availability this week. You had Sebastian Joseph Day's moment at the podium um, in terms of, you know, potentially blaming the defensive play calling. So, um, you know, I think the number of players on this roster that were uninvested, you saw it in the play, you saw it in how they acted. And, um, you know, ultimately, Telesco wasn't going to get a fourth coaching hire and it was playoffs or bust this year for Staley. So all of those things combined, I think it would have happened at the end of the season if it wasn't as much of a disaster last night. But given the totality of the situation on Thursday night football in particular in front of the yeah. whole country, like that, that is the kind of game that's going to get ownership to change their tune. And, you know, you can bring up the Anthony Lynn comparison for sure, but I do think there was an aspect to Anthony Lynn where like they were losing like all these close games, but it still felt like the locker room generally had Lynn's back till the bitter end. Um, in January, Herbert consistently defended him. Derwin consistently defended him. Um, but it just felt like vibes wise, uh, they were more done with Staley and that into the result last night. Um, I, I think that's what did him in. Arjun, what about you? What do you think about, cause, uh, as Scott Kramer pointed out in the chat, you know, Adam Schefter was on the Pat McAfee show today and was saying that Brandon Staley almost got fired after the Ravens performance. What do you what do you buy in that regard in terms of the timing that the, the Chargers deciding to move on from Brandon Staley and Tom Telesco today? Yeah, I don't moving on after the Ravens game would have been weird because they, they still could have gone on a run. Like theoretically, like yeah. they they were favored against the Broncos and the Patriots. So like those are two games they should have won, right? Like at least by the odds makers, like they were if you play that game a hundred times, they win a majority of the time. So like they could have gone on a run, you know, you win those two games, you, you know, you should have you probably favored if you have Justin Herbert in this game. So a run to the playoffs is definitely possible. So I don't know if they necessarily would have fired Staley after that game, especially since that game, like, honestly, like the defense wasn't even that bad. Like, I think they only gave up, like they had like, they only gave up 20 points and then, um, and yeah, like they held Lamar to a, not a, not a terrific performance, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think like his fate was sealed definitely after this game. You just, you just can't get blown out by that, by Aiden O'Connell. Yeah. And I mean, I, I know I tweeted it. Like I said, I don't foresee them firing him, even if it's a bad loss. Like I even put the badly or not parentheses and it, it just blew up in my face. I like, I just didn't think this was possible for like to lose to Aiden O'Connell like this. And, and yeah, like Alex said, I think when you have your guys, the guys that you, you know, Brandon Sealy talks about so much, Sebastian Joseph Day, Derwin James, seeming in, uninterested, you know, talking about, you know, not being interested in the in press conferences. I mean, that's a big indictment on Brandon Sealy. And I mean, we've seen, you know, when Anthony Lynn got fired, we saw Keenan Allen put a tweet out about Anthony Lynn. We saw Derwin James, you know, go to a press conference after the season saying, Anthony Lynn came to my house, you know, he, he supported me in my recovery, right? In the one one to two hours after Brandon Staley got fired, we've seen Jared Cook and Tyron Johnson both publicly out comments, Instagram stories about you know, you know about the Chargers, and I I don't think that's a great look. That obviously signifies something was there within you know the, the leadership of this team, and and you know I think you just can't have that at this point in, in you know your third year of coaching, and then for Telesco is 
12th year as, as a GM. So I, I think like those were pretty damning evidence. And obviously these players can't really talk about coaches like that when they're free agents. I guess Jerry Cook is probably retired, but like, you know, you can't really talk about like an active head coach like that. But, you know, when yeah. things start coming out like that, it just makes it look even worse. Yeah, you know, we'll see what the actual leaders of the team say today, um, or, or not today, rather, but like next time they speak to the media. Um, but there were some posts about Giff Smith, you know, getting this job. You know, Adrian Phillips was uh, a guy who came out and, and said that, you know, he is, uh, I think he called them real ones, right? But like there was some support about Giff Smith. There wasn't really anything mentioned today about Brandon Staley or Tom Telesco. So we'll see what the players have to say about that. Last night, I think. In my opinion, like once the Chargers lost to uh, or, or once the Chargers lost to the Ravens, I think that essentially sealed their fate as a non-playoff team. Obviously, would have you know they they could have gone on a run, but after that Broncos game, like they were at one percent chance heading into you know uh, heading into the Raiders game, so the season was effectively over. The only way I really saw a midseason firing was a night like yesterday which looking back at it is still kind of just like crazy to me like how that game happened I didn't watch most of the second half I stopped watching after the John Jenkins uh touchdown um that was essentially the nail in the coffin for that game for me and then we had some Christmas stuff that we had to go do um but you know when Ryan Ficken's unit is struggling like that's that was how the game was going to go and there's Davis, you know, fumbles a, a punt. Um, you know, they, they had a penalty just here. Taylor had a penalty that caused them. And so it, it just was, it was a terrible night from the start. And then the turnover started coming. Rashawn Slater gets beat from Malcolm Gooms. Like it was just that kind of game, but even still, man, it's not like the Raiders were this amazing offense, right? Like heading into the game. Like I was like, okay, this is a bad loss. We're talking about like 27 to 13 kind of deal. Because the Raiders only were averaging 15.5 points per game heading into last night. And they scored 63 fucking points yesterday. It's just crazy to me. Like, the Chargers, unfortunately for these two gentlemen, did not have a choice after that game. The way that it went down, the scale that it went down. I mean, Amazon is doing a whole segment about chargering. Al Michaels is talking about getting on a plane ride after, like, in the second quarter. And it just was such a bad look for the franchise on, on last night. And so they didn't have a choice. Like, this was the only choice heading into today. Um, so, yeah, I do kind of tend to agree that once the playoffs were out of the picture, the deal was sealed. That was the expectation heading into the season was make the playoffs, and then we'll see. You know, if you win a playoff game, obviously that that kind of solidifies you. But um, after last night, there was there was no other other choice here. So let's dive into a little bit about kind of the legacy of these two individuals. Arjun, we'll, we'll start with you from a Tom Telesco standpoint. You obviously have uh, done a lot of great work, like analyzing the draft and things like that. And, and we used your graph a few weeks ago to, to break down the Chargers history here. Where did things go wrong for Tom Telesco in your eyes, in terms of his general manager candidacy? Yeah, I think, um, and, and this is a trait that like most general managers have. So I'm not going to specifically blame it on Telesco, but I think it's like overconfidence in his or just in the team's drafting ability. Um, this is, you know, Tom Celesco, Tom Celesco in 12 years has never traded down. And we, you know, trading down, obviously, like it, it's a two way thing. You need to find another party to agree to terms and all of that. But like in 12 years, if you've never found one party that's willing to trade 
up so that you can move back and stockpile more picks. I mean, yeah. I, I, I have to think that like they never even tried because like you need to take dart throws on day three. We talk about some of the best teams in the league. You know, the Ravens have always found great day three guys. The, the Niners are trading back. The Eagles always trade back, right? Like you want to stockpile these picks. He's never done that. And I think kind of like that overconfidence in his ability to just like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll pick a player and we don't need to have these dart throws because the guys we pick are going to be good enough. Yeah, he's he's traded up multiple times. He traded up back into the first round for non-premium positions like running back and and linebacker. And then we talk about some of his, his free agency signings, and like a lot of the time, his free agency goals are to get older at positions. We you know, the line how the linebacker position was handled in the past two years was was something that I think every Chargers fan disagreed with. The idea of sacrificing pass coverage to get better at run defense and to get slower and to get worse as a blitzer from Drew Tranquil to Eric Hendricks and Kaiser White. I think a lot of people agree that it was a mistake. And I think that's, that that's how it's turned out to be. Um, and just a lot of his free agency moves have been to just get older. I mean, Chris Harris Jr. Uh, you know, I think like Morgan Fox is kind of like a bargain of the bin free, free agent signing, but even for guys like Kyle Van Noy that like, Turn out to be you know solid signings for the Chargers. He like lets them walk the next year. There's no retention yeah. strategy. There's no retention strategy for day three picks that actually pan out. Trey Pipkins was like the first one. I think one of the first non studs that the Chargers ever re-signed in the Tom Telesco tenure. So just this idea of like keeping continuity. It was never there. It's always it's always about getting older. About getting more getting uh you know more injured. There was a quote from like an athletic article like one or two years ago that always talked about like the Chargers always have all this hype. And then we go into the season and they start getting injured and people get surprised. And this GM was like, no, we shouldn't be surprised because every year they're signing older players. They're trading for older players yeah. like Trey Turner. They're signing Brian Bulaga. They're never building through the draft. They're trying to patch holes in free agency and never they never develop any talent. So I think that's always been the biggest issue, just the over-reliance, overconfidence in the draft, and then not really having a viable free agency strategy to, to sustain winning rosters. Yeah, um, I echo a lot of the same points that Arjun made. And, you know, I, I think Telesco ultimately is kind of judged in this two-year window by what he did in free agency, right? I mean, you know, the three, like, biggest charger spends that you have are J.C. Jackson, which he had to apologize to the entire yeah. DB room for signing him in the middle of this season, Um he started seven games and his dead cap impacts next year as well, uh, even in Telesco's wake. Uh, Austin Johnson, the Sebastian Joseph Day, like were fine signings at the time, but like they didn't really get the defensive line production that they wanted out of either of them. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so you go back to that. Khalil Mack obviously ended up, as, as you've seen this year, being a solid move. Um, but they also made four max restructures into Keenan and Mike and uh, Bosa and uh, Mac as well, right? And have nine losses to show for it uh, this season, right? You know, kind of stinks that Mike Williams and Bosa got injured, obviously, um, in that calculus. But, you know, again, that's like betting on older players uh, to stay healthy, even though Joey Bosa yeah. has shown an insistence, you know, unfortunately for him that he hasn't been able to stay healthy in recent years. Um, and, you know, you could say kind of the same thing about Mike Williams to, to some extent, right? And the Chargers kind of doubled down and tripled down despite the fact that 
you know, like Arjun said, they haven't drafted well enough that like, okay, well, if these players do get hurt, what is our backup plan? Right. And they never really had that and drafted Quentin Johnson in the first round this year. And that was, you know, supposed to be, Hey, look, we're going to move on from Mike next year. Or if something happens to Mike this year, Quentin's going to step up. Didn't happen. Right. So I think you look at several things just like that in general. Um, I think the Chargers, you know, and Arjun posted about this a couple of weeks ago, right? The perception of what the Chargers roster is because of the names that they have, right? Everybody knows who Eckler is. Everybody knows who Keenan is, Max, so on and so forth. And what the quality of this roster actually is from top to bottom. And I think that is something that Telesco never fully overcame. And uh, in this two-year window where they went all in and used all of the financial capital um, and their players got injured and they didn't draft well enough to sustain that, I think everything that was already in Telesco's first 11 years just kind of came to a head this year uh, and in particular the last two years trying to go all in. So um, I don't know if I would ever say like, Telesco was outright like a a bad GM in terms of, you know, his strategies of, Mm. you know, look, he hit on some draft picks, obviously, too. Um, But I do think, like Arjun said, sort of the stubbornness, the never trading back, I think how inflexible he was in sort of his team building and roster management. I think those were going to be the things that kind of define his tenure as opposed to a lot of other NFL GMs uh, at the top right now who, you know, uh, are, are kind of able to change their ways based on the year and based on the situation. Telesco was always Telesco for better or worse. Yeah. Both of you guys, you know, hitting on a lot of the key points here with, with Telesco, you know, I think that, you know, we're going to talk about a lot about like what we want the future head coach and future GM and like the qualities that they have. But these teams who can manipulate the draft board are gaining such an edge in draft value. And, and it's it doesn't even necessarily have to be ex- like exclusively like the first round. Like how often are we seeing these teams trade down on day two, on day three to accumulate extra draft picks or trade up or whatever the case may be? And that ability to be flexible on draft weekend was just something that Tom Telesco was never willing to do. I mean, even after the Khalil Mack trade happens, he sends two seventh round picks back to Chicago so he can get his sixth round pick back. Like he was so proud of the fact that he got his original sixth round pick back from the bears. And maybe those two extra seventh rounders don't become anything. Right. But like it's two extra chances at finding somebody, which is definitely a key thing. And then I'm glad Arjun brought up the retention aspect of things because that, that is an issue that I think has really gone unnoticed from like a national perspective. And like, you know, you can't resign everybody. And Tom Telesco has always reminded us of that fact. But when you get these, you know, day three guys to actually hit, like you need to keep them. Like you need to find ways to keep these players around because that is really the meat of your roster. And Nate Tice always talks about this on the athletic football show, how the chargers like defense, like not, not as much this year, but Previously, he would always say like the defense was like the Joey. It was Joey Bosa and the Bosats because there's just is not a ton of depth here. But when you find a guy like Denzel Perryman, when you find a guy like Hunter Henry, when you find guys like Kaiser White, Drew Tranquil, maybe not Rayshon Jenkins because he ultimately signed a pretty big contract 
with the Jacksonville Jaguars. But, you know, even a guy like a Sam Tevy, you know, he, he's not a viable starter necessarily, but he could have been a better swing tackle option than Storm Norton for sure. Um, people will talk about the Achena and Wosu thing, as Michael pointed out too. Like you're effectively choosing Khalil Mack over Achena and Wosu. I think that's that's fine. That's that's an that's an okay instance of it. But you're talking about the meat and potatoes aspect of your roster, and when your stars are gone, things like last night happen. You know, you don't have Justin and Keenan and Mike and and and, and obviously Corey Lindsley. Like your only real star player who played last night was Rashawn Slater and he and he had a tough night it, it is what it is but when you don't have the meat and potatoes of your roster like this is what happens and so you know unfortunately those those are the two areas where I think Tom Telesco is going to be remembered most for is just the inability and stubbornness to move around the draft board and then the lack of retention too like people will also point out the free agency stuff too but for me like that's that's unfortunately Tom Telesco's legacy right now is is stubbornness in terms of draft philosophy and the inability to retain his players that he does hit on on day two and day three. Yeah, and also just say one more thing: like you, you know, saw the difference with Justin Herbert not being out there last night, and you know, you could talk about the drop off from Herbert to Stick and all that, but it's also just how these teams are built, right? Look at what the Bengals are doing with Jake Browning, right? Yeah. Look at what the Ravens did last year with Snoop Huntley getting getting into the Pro Bowl, um, you know, and, you know, being able to kind of still continue to compete for a playoff spot because of how, you know, well those rosters and, you know, have been built over the years versus if Herbert or Keenan is out for a game like this team's kind of screwed. And it's yeah. the same thing that we saw last year. So I, I think that that is, you know, like a big part of it. Yeah, it's very, you know, as people keep saying like star heavy top heavy roster that when you don't you know uh properly fill the holes around it it's going to collapse yeah and there were people obviously talking about like things needing to change right and and i think the the decision today to fire both of these gentlemen i think will pay dividends because the gm is going to like obviously i hope the next head coach stays here for much longer than three or four years which has been the pattern but general managers generally stick around for, you know, 10 to 15 years. I mean, Tom Telesco had a, a 11 seasons and and one and two playoff wins. So whoever they choose to be general manager, like that is arguably the more important hire. Like, uh, you know, I, I think you can obviously make a, uh, an argument for the head coaching decision. But the general manager is the one that's going to have to inherit this cap sheet and inherit the lack of draft picks that have really contributed you know, that's the thing that's hurting them right now, too, is that they drafted a lot of projects and on the model, not very many of these projects are hitting. So um, it, it's going to be a very crucial thing for this individual to come in here and reset this roster because people are are talking about the the cap thing and how terrible it is and how tough of a GM job it is. You have some tough decisions to make, but you're going to have a clean cap sheet in 2025. So whoever is the GM is going to really have the opportunity to come in here and and effectively, you know, reset this roster around a franchise quarterback. So, Arjun, let, let's talk about this. We can talk about, too, like the head coaching perspective, because there's a lot of people who said, like, the Chargers are the top job because of Justin Herbert. A lot of people are saying the GM job is is not that good, not that attractive. Where do you land on, like, how attractive this GM job is uh, for the Chargers right now? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's pretty attractive. Like, you don't really get 
see a lot of situations where you have an elite quarterback and you can build around him. And like you said, like, yeah, like if, if the ownership, if the charge ownership are aligned in what they're looking for and they understand like this most likely is going to be at the minimum a two year process to get back into like real contention, then yeah, like this is an attractive job. Like you can stockpile picks for 2025. You can, you know, really just free up as much cap space as you want in 2025 uh, for 2025. Um, and even like, yeah, you're gonna have to make some tough decisions. At least two of uh, Keenan, Mike, Mac, and Bosa are going to be gone, or potentially more, depending on how they they approach that. But you also have a top five pick that you could turn into more picks if you feel this is a very good draft in terms of first round talent. So yeah, I don't I don't necessarily completely buy the notion that it's a terrible GM job. I think yeah, like the roster is not great. It's definitely overrated from what people think it is. But if you if you get a GM who understands how to you know build a team, which is why like a lot of the teams that I've posed are like team or are, are, uh, personnel people from teams that have paid quarterbacks and like have had success. Like yeah. I have I have the Cowboys in there. I have you know the Niners who've built teams with Jimmy Garoppolo. I have the Ravens in there. Uh, you know I have the Chiefs in there who've you know done a mate an amazing job of building young talent around Mahomes. So like those are the guy kind of guys like I initially just what I want to feel for just because they've had experience kind of building championship level rosters around a, a quarterback who's getting paid. And so the way you have to do that is through the draft. And again, all it takes is one draft. It takes one draft to turn your yeah. franchise around. You look at the Cowboys 2022 draft that that is rivaling the Saints 2017 draft in terms of like how elite that was, yeah. you know, without obviously yeah. like, you know, Bland, Ferguson, Tyler Smith, those are three like above average starters. Like you, you have one of those drafts and you get guys at premium positions that really turns things around. So yeah, like they, they're going to have a top five pick. They might not have a lot of cap space, but you free up a lot of cap space for 2025 and you spend like you can in 2025. I, I think this is a team that could be in uh, contention in 2025, as long as, you know, people continue to progress and we don't see any other aggression from any other guys. Yeah. Alex, your thoughts there about the quality of this GM job? Yeah, I mean, I still think it's going to be one of the top GM jobs. I think you can debate between this one or Chicago um, as the top GM job. Um, you know, if you have those two future, two twenty twenty four firsts, I should say, you know, in that Chicago situation, if somebody like wants to just kind of like take over and have like basically a blank slate and be able to hand out kind of whatever contracts they want. And, you know, from a financial standpoint, someone can make the argument that that's a better job. But ultimately, you still have Justin Herbert here who, you know, let's say 25 other GMs would take as their quarterback, you know, yeah. right now. Like if you if you still view him as a top five, top ten guy. Um, so, you know, I think that's very attractive. And he's still obviously very young. And you feel like in these last two years, you haven't even gotten what the, you know, perceived ceiling of Herbert uh, still is because of, you know, some of the things plaguing the team. So ultimately, I think that this job is still desirable for that reason. And I think you can kind of look at, like Arjun said, right now in 2024, yeah, it's not going to look so great in terms of the you know contracts that they have to get off of at some point. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this roster is going to go through a lot of turnover to the point where in two years, Herbert might be the only player that we recognize from this roster. Like that is a very, you know, distinct possibility depending on how like severe this rebuild uh, ends up being. So um, ultimately, yeah, I, I would just say, I still think that it, as long as you're, you know, keeping the main thing, the main thing with Herbert, then 
I still think this is a very desirable job. Obviously, we could talk about the market and stuff like that as well. The Spanos is for whatever people want to say about coaches, like they will spend on the roster and they've spent too much on the roster for not enough results yeah. in recent years. So um, I think from that standpoint, it's still an attractive job. Um, you know, is it as attractive as it probably was in 2021 when Staley got hired? You know, I think you could debate that probably less so because of the financial situation. But I still think ultimately you have this opportunity with Herbert and a lot of, you know, uh, you know, opportunistic GMs who want that job would take it. Yeah, no, I, I think this like people also need to realize, I think that GM openings are so rare. It, it's very difficult to really land a GM job. I mean, Jojo Wooden, who is the uh, interim uh, GM right now, he's been applying for GM jobs for years and he's been getting a ton of interviews. And some of these guys are a little bit more selective about potentially leaving or not leaving, depending on their role and situations. But this is absolutely a, a, a not a dream job, right? But you, how many GMs would love to have Justin Herbert right now in a vacuum? And you get the chance to build around him. And I think you have other aspects of the job. Obviously, you know, like the team, the new team facility is is a nice you know uh, chip to have. Living in in Southern California is a nice chip to have. But at the end of the day, like you, you're gonna get the chance to build this roster the way that you want and. Like Arjun is saying, you know, you have this this cap right now, which you're going to have some dead cap to eat. That's not really your that's not your job as a GM. That's the owner's thing. Like the owners have to eat that dead cap. So you have to make some tough decisions. But the only big contracts that are going to be on the books in 2025 are Justin Herbert, Derwin James, probably Rashawn Slater's contract extension. Like this this current roster, this current team was built to basically have a fresh restart when Justin Herbert's contract extension started. And that's how this thing is going to go. So this GM job is absolutely an extremely at attractive GM job. And, and whoever comes in is going to have a chance to really reset this roster to build around Justin Herbert's strengths. And yeah, like definitely having that quarterback contract makes things more difficult, but they don't really have many other expensive contracts. You know, this isn't like, you know, the Chiefs, when they traded Tyreek Hill, they did it because they have all of these other expensive contracts. The, the Chargers would really only have, you know, Herbert, Slater, and TBD on Derwin James, who unfortunately has not looked like himself this year. So this GM job opening, I think, is a fantastic opening, and they should really have their pick of the litter in terms of the, the top candidates this year. Yeah, and I was going to say, like, I think Alex brought up a good point, point comparing the job now versus in 2021. Like, yeah, sure. in 2021, they had, they had a ton of cap space, you know, high, somewhat high draft pick. It's going to be lower than this year. But I think just the organizational philosophy since they hired Brandon Staley has shifted. And part of that is the move to L.A., just the amount of spending I think they've done. Uh, prior to 2021, I feel like a lot you, – you look at their free agency signings and, like, even when they had cap space, a lot of the – a lot of that was just spent on bargain bin kind of like yep. super old veteran guys for one year deals. They never really broke the bank as they did for, uh, you know, JC Jackson, or they gave a, a, a big deal to like Derwin James. Like they've reset the market before, even prior to the move, but they did so more. And the biggest thing was the guarantees, right? Like they guaranteed a lot of money to some yeah. of these free agents. And again, like, I think that's kind of philosophy switch and you have a new GM that is, has that same spending power. I think it is, you know, somewhat, uh, attractive and and they are I think at least in the top ten in spending in caps or cash spending in the past three years under Brandon Staley. So 
yeah, like you're going to have an opportunity to spend. That's what moving to SoFi does, you know, regardless of what the true San Diego, San Diego ends will say about it. You know, I, I still ride and die with you guys, but there is like a financial aspect of moving to LA. And I think part yeah. of that is the money you can spend on this roster. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hey, what's up, Chargers fans? Make Little Caesars, the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day. Order online during our Pizza Pizza pregame, one hour before NFL games, and get ready for some football and fun. Choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza or pick the toppings you crave. Either way, you win. And speaking of winning, everyone scores with convenient delivery or our in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends and enjoy a few slices during the tastiest hour before Chargers kickoff. Hey, it's Tyler from the Guilty as Charged podcast. I'm here to talk about prize picks. PrizePix is a skill-based, real-money daily fantasy sports game. How does it work? You pick two to six players, and if they will go more or less than their prize picks projection. Watch your progress update in real time, win up to 25 times your entry amount, and cash out your winnings with quick scoring, settling, and withdrawals. PrizePix offers frequent discounts, bonuses, and other exciting offers. Players can enjoy community-wide promotions, including weekly promotions like Taco Tuesday and Flex Friday. I've loved using prize picks so far. This week's I've got Justin Herbert with more than 284.5 passing yards and Keenan Allen with more than 82.5 receiving yards. To make your selections, go to prizepicks.com guilty and use code guilty for our first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com guilty and use code guilty for a first deposit match up to $100. Yeah, so let's um, let's put a pin on that conversation. We'll get to some GM candidates. Um, Alex Katzen, for what it's worth, already has an article up about his guys. I'm sure Alex and Arjun here and and Tyler and myself will have um, our guys as well. So um, we'll get to that conversation. Let, let's wrap this show up today talking about Brandon Staley and, and the ride that we've been on over the last three seasons under him as a coach. And I think people will forget that the four of us sat on here after the Jacksonville game and we all thought that at that point, you you as a team probably had to move on. 
They decided to bring him back. You make some changes. You bring Kellen Moore in, Doug Nussmeyer in. Uh, you promote Derek Ansley instead of Ronaldo Hill. You make some other changes. Linebacker coach Michael Wilhoyt uh, and, and Jeff Howard, you know, switch places essentially. But at the end of the day, like I think the thing that I'll remember most about Brandon Staley is unfortunately just the inconsistencies, whether that is from a decision-making standpoint, whether that's from a roster management standpoint, whether that is the defense going from having these really, really high highs against teams like the Dolphins and the 49ers, and and you could argue the Ravens from this seat this year, to the lows, obviously, starting with last night. But it, it's just the, the whole tenure, I think, has just been very inconsistent as a head coach. And, you know, the, the Chargers as an organization are going to have to figure out a way to get these coaches to – you know, consistently improve. Like you don't necessarily have, it doesn't necessarily have to be linear, but the third season of your tenure as a head coach is supposed to be the season when things are clicking all the way together. And Staley, Anthony Lynn and Mike McCoy were talking about four and 12, five and 11 and five and nine in their third seasons. And it's just, it's an extremely unfortunate pattern that needs to be corrected for whoever they hire. It needs to be a long-term outlook for that coach and you know Brandon Staley walked into a situation where the pressure was win now win now and I thought that 2021 there was some real flashes that he was going to be able to put it together but everything since then has has gone in in the wrong direction and unfortunately just that level of consistency was never really there across the board for Brandon Staley so um, again you can talk about like why what led to the decision of his hiring but for me, the lack of consistency across the board is is really what it did Brandon Staley in here. But uh, Alex, we'll get your thoughts there. What what ultimately, in your opinion, is is kind of the legacy of Brandon Staley as Chargers head coach? Um, ultimately, I think it's a guy who had a lot of you know good ideas when he came in here, but the execution on those ideas was lacking. Um, and from day one, right, and he had that big opening press conference where he talked about kind of the multiple defensive groupings that he was going to use Joey Bosa and Derwin James and Kenneth Murray in, right? Um, that never came to fruition, right? And ultimately the Chargers defensive special teams, EPA, every single year they were bottom 10 or bottom five or they were 31st or 32nd. So, um, you know, you were brought in here to fix the defense uh, and, and build around Herbert. You didn't do it. Um, and then from an offensive standpoint, right? Like, you know, obviously, Joe Lombardi was his fourth or fifth choice, you know, in that uh, as an offensive coordinator in 2021, you know, fine. Like that didn't go well for him, but he also got Kellen Moore and that was supposed to kind of fix a lot of the issues. That was his Chargers. first choice. <laughs> yeah, that was his first choice. That was supposed to fix a lot of the issues the Chargers had on offense. Yeah. And as we saw this year, like, yeah, there were a couple games like Detroit where like, OK, here it looks like the offense is doing some really good stuff. Turns out that's just kind of Detroit's defense. Um, but, you know, uh, as, as we've seen, like, they put up, you know, 21 points last night. Uh, what is it? Six points against the Patriots, 10 points against the Ravens, 20 points against the Packers when they should have had more. Like, you know, when you start putting all those performances together, you know, I don't want to be like points per game guy, but ultimately Staley never really had the right offensive philosophy uh, and offensive execution around Justin Herbert which, you know, in addition to what he was supposed to do with the defense, he was supposed to fix that, right? And so uh, to come in here and, and kind of spend as much money and draft capital as they did on the offense and building out the offensive line, 
um, which generally was a positive thing until this year. Um, obviously doing what they did with Mike and Keenan, drafting Quinton, um, you know, they bet on Eckler, you know, this year having one more final year and giving him those incentives, the, you know, uh, the well ran dry there. Right. So I just think ultimately you kind of look at the execution of the Staley era and it, it leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, and obviously we, we've heard like different things about, you know, different players from time to time too, right? Like the inconsistency in personnel, right? How many times did we get on a Saturday pod or a Sunday pod? And I just remember like, why is this guy playing over this guy? Right. You know, they drafted Isaiah Spiller in the fourth round and he just, you know, had arguably what was his best game by a PFF's grading scale, you know, last night. He wasn't playing at all this year, right? Yeah. And so that's, you know, just an, one example of many examples I could give uh, of, you know, personnel related decisions that kind of, you know, just didn't end up paying, uh, paying off. And we talk about various benchings uh, that happened over the course of the Staley tenure all the time the cornerback room might as well have been musical chairs uh is it michael davis that's getting benched is it jc jackson that's getting yeah. benched who who is it right and so you saw that a lot during the Staley tenure too and when you have that much fluctuation on top of the attrition that they had injury wise you know i i think that's really what over the course of three years what led you know derwin james or what led many of these players to just like kind of be exhausted by the end of it and, you know, you can only kind of pull the rope so far. So um, I think the inconsistency in decision-making um, is absolutely part of it. The play calling, you know, obviously at that aspect leaves a lot to be desired. And the Chargers just were not fundamentally, like, sound as a defense, too. Um, they were one of the worst tackling teams in the league. They um, just could never put it together uh, as far as, you know, even, man, if they were a top 15 defense, Staley might still have a job today, <laughs> you know, at any point over these last three years, right? If they had some kind of consistent momentum, they never got it. Um, so I don't know. I will always kind of remember Staley as um, a, a guy that I think wanted to execute a lot of things. And then by the middle to end of year two, realized he was very in over his head. And I think, you know, the whole era kind of ending last night and it ending with Daniel Popper asking him, like, why should you have a job? And then it being like, oh, well, like coaches take these losses all the time. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> literally <laughs> never, <laughs> literally by a score got me never. <laughs> um, and I just think there were too many question marks, things you could pick at that just always seemed questionable. We talk, again, practice squad elevations, personnel decisions. Um, and so I don't know, I, like, I think Brandon Staley probably goes somewhere else and could still be like, you know, maybe a decent defensive coordinator. Maybe he works his way back up the ranks, you know, somehow in that regard, I don't think he deserves to be in division three football per Rex Ryan. Um, but I, I, I do think, you know, there were some ideas there, but as this team's window, you know, was what it was. He was part of the reason they brought in all the personnel here that didn't work, you know, in addition to JC Jackson and numerous other moves over the years. Um, and he's also, in addition to Telesco, part of the reason they're in the financial situation that they're in without much to show for it from a GM perspective as well. And being one of the coaches that had a lot of that input. So um, 
I don't know. I uh, will always think he was like a good guy in his time here, especially, you know, some of the things he pulled the team through in 2021 and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it, it was well past time to go. And I really think, as you said, should have been the Jags game and they're going to pay the tax for the fact that it didn't happen after the Jags game. Arjun, any, any additional thoughts there? Uh, yeah, I mean, Alex said a lot. So I think the biggest thing for me is just I, I never felt the Chargers had an identity on either side of the ball. Great um, point. And man, great mainly, point. mainly on defense. Uh, I, I've talked about it so much. Any live stream I come on, I feel like I talk about it. The Chargers defense is built to not allow explosive plays, and they allowed explosive plays way too often, whether it was in the run game or pass game. Um, their identity is to stop, you know, to stop the pass and allow teams to run on them, you know, you let teams try to like dink and dunk or, you know, run for three or four yards. First two years of Staley's tenure, the team could not stop the run this year. They could you know somewhat stop the run, but they were just awful at stopping the pass. And you like, you just have that switch yeah. from year two to year three, like in year three, your run, the run defense should be getting better. And the pass defense should be at the same level or getting better. Instead, the pass defense got exponentially worse. Or yeah. I understand the whole JC Jackson thing was bad, but like, you know, you should like you should be prepared for that. Like Michael Davis saying he has no confidence in when he's going to play or not. Like, you know, I confidence matters for players. And I, I don't think they did a good job kind of handling that situation. And, you know, we got to talk about it. like he he fired all three of his coordinators. He initially hired in the first two years of his yeah. head coaching you know, tenure. That's not a good look. Like you fired your special teams coordinator after one year and rightfully so. They were terrible in 2021. They let go of. I, I don't even remember Viscano. That was that was a kicker. Viscaino, yeah. Yeah. So you fire all three of your coordinators by year two. And, you know, even like I, I was really high on Kellen Moore, and I haven't been that impressed either. So yeah, it's just yeah. lack of an identity on defense. I mean, I don't even want to get out get in the fourth down stuff because we all know how, you know, at this point, I feel like Staley was just more aggressive than like going by the books, which that's fine. Like I'd rather him be aggressive than like actually follow the math, but that fell off last year. So yeah, no identity on defense. Couldn't really figure out what he wants to do from an aggressiveness standpoint, and just the hirings. It just didn't seem like it worked. And and obviously, like they had to let go of some people and promote some people, um, and and that hasn't worked as well. So just all over the place. And I I, I think Stephen Ruiz also brought up a really good point that it just feels like there's been no player development for the Chargers for any of their young yes. guys. Yeah. Um, JT Woods can't see the field. Isaiah Spiller can't see the field. Like these are guys that like you want to be developing as Herbert hits his uh, extension or like, you know, the Chargers have not found a running back to pair with Austin Eckler for a while to actually be able to run the ball. And, you know, Spiller very young, but the fact that he can't see the field by year two, year two, and like you should be learning special teams by year two. Like, I don't know what's going on and why these guys just can't see the field. And yeah, yeah. real lasting, the personnel decisions. I mean, I absolutely hated how they, you know, only used four receivers on game day last year. Yep. But just like things like that just like kept accumulating. And, and yeah, it's just, it's gotten to the point where I just never really understood a lot of what Steely was doing. So that, that would be kind of my addition to what Alex said. Well, getting to the fourth down thing, I think that's also part of my frustration is because like, the whole thing about 2021 that we all loved was his aggressive nature and how he, you know, would gain the Chargers points in terms of expected points added because of how aggressive he was. That belief that like he they're going to walk into Arrowhead and he's going to put the game in Justin Herbert's hands and and they're going to be aggressive to a fault. And then in 2022, it's like, well, OK, we're like we trust our punter now and we have a better defense, presumably. And like 
we're going to be more conservative. Like they went full tilt from hyper aggressive to hyper conservative. And then this year it's been more reckless. I feel like, like the, the decisions have been, you know, we're just going to go for it, you know, almost to a fault, not even necessarily because of like the data says that it's a smart decision. So even that aspect of things has taken a step back and it's just, it, it was this specific season. I've said this a couple of times privately, but this specific season was the most frustrating season I've had as a fan, not because I was expecting this team to like be a Super Bowl contender by any means. You know, I, I had them making the playoffs, but I never really expected after last season that, hey, like all these issues are going to be corrected. I definitely did not expect them to be a five win football team. And a very large portion of that falls onto Staley's shoulders, just the inconsistent decision making process, the the roster decisions, the inability to solve major issues like Arjun is talking about from run defense, from pass defense, from an offensive line thing. And you can talk about Kellen Moore in the same kind of conversation. They have struggled against free rushers, simulated pressures, extensive designer blitz packages. Every single game they have played this year, except for the Vikings game, which is crazy to me to think about, given what Brian Flores has done to everybody else in the league. But it's it's every week that this team struggles with free rushers and things like that. And when you have Easton Stick, it's very much expedited because you don't have Justin Herbert, who's, who is that elite processor. So there are problems that are just never solved throughout the season. And obviously, that's the reason why they are five wins right now. It's just been really frustrating to watch from a, a coaching standpoint to see the kind of promise that he showed in 2021 as a head coach to what we saw this season. So I know a lot of our listeners feel that same kind of level of frustration too. And obviously it's resulted in, in, in the changing of the guard here. So uh, final thing here, because I know we're on a time crunch, but um, Giff Smith is the interim head coach. As of now, we mentioned him. Jojo Wooden is the interim head coach. The chargers did also fire uh, Jay Rogers after that decision. Um, Arjun, any surprise that Giff Smith is the choice of interim head coach? Or what's kind of your thoughts there uh, regarding Giff, you know, uh, leading the ship for the final three games? Yeah, I mean, I, first of all, props to Tyler. I think he called it on Twitter, so shout out to him. Uh, yep. Not too surprised. Sounds like Giff is a pretty respected guy in the locker room. Joey Bosa always spoke highly of him. Khalil Max speaks highly of him. I mean, they switched Giff from, I think, D-line back to outside linebackers because of his relationship with Joey Bosa after 2021, I believe. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I'm not too surprised. Um, you know, I am curious if they approached Kellen Moore or Ryan Ficken with, with the offer of becoming the interim, and if either of them turned it down, that would be really interesting to hear about, but I doubt we ever really get that information. And then, yeah, JoJo Wooden, I think that's the easiest one. You know, Telesco's right-hand man. I know some people might say Ed McGuire. McGuire's, I think, more strictly on the cap side and, like, you don't really see those guys really make it up to GM levels. I mean, he is, I think, a vice president or executive vice president, so it's still a very good title. But, yeah, happy for Wooden. You know, he's been in, you know, the right-hand man for about 12 years now. So the fact that he has a GM title, while it might just be for three or four games, uh, that's still very cool for him. And, you know, hopefully hopefully the team is at least competitive. I know we kind of want them to tank a little bit, but, uh, you know, if, at least for these guys' sake and for if they have to coach for their next jobs, you know, I hope they are able to put something on you know, on the, on the screen. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I wasn't necessarily, you know, waking up this morning thinking it was going to be Gib Smith, but I think, you know, after it was kind of explained, you know, why they made that decision and the reasons Tyler gave, uh, obviously he's, you know, been 
pretty much longest tenured guy, you know, here as far as the coaching staff is concerned. It made a lot of sense. And obviously the relationship that he has with a lot of the players, um, you know, Jojo Wooden getting that opportunity, you know, we'll see if maybe he's a guy that they interview in the offseason. Kind of doubt it, but you never know uh, if, if he's already been here for so long. Um, but maybe they want something that's more of a radical change. Who knows? Um, but yeah, as far as GIF getting it, I, I don't know if it is something that really impacts the odds of like what happens to Kellen Moore, what happens to, you know, Ryan Ficken, you know, as the season goes uh, or, as, you know, we turn to the off season. Um, but I did think it was interesting that both of them did not receive the uh, interim head coaching job. Yeah, you know, JoJo Wooden, I do think he'll get an interview. He's got a lot of fans around the league, and there is some something to say for, like, continuity from a, a you know, front office standpoint. I, I definitely, like, philosophically, things need to change. Um, but JoJo Wooden, I do think, will get an interview. Um, there's obviously the Rooney rule as well, as, as Kevin's pointing out. So we'll see how that goes. I would expect the GM search to be pretty extensive, um, but I do think JoJo gets an interview. For the interim head coaching thing, I think, you know, people made have made a big deal about Kellen Moore not being that choice. And, and there's some of the aggregate accounts saying that, like, Kellen Moore refused the the opportunity to be that guy. Um, I can definitely say that Kellen Moore was not approached to be the interim head coach. The team believed that it was a greater priority to have him continue to be focused on Easton Stick and, and guiding that ship and his his audition for backup quarterback of the future to other teams, things like that. Um, so they didn't want to rock the boat on offense. The decision was essentially give Smith, Derek Ansley or Ryan Ficken as, as the interim head coach. And, you know, my belief, this is not sources. So that is a source. I can confidently say that that information is accurate. My opinion is that they chose gift because of, what Arjun highlighted earlier, his role in the locker room and his ability to make this team not necessarily win their final three games, because I think they're going to be very overmatched in these three games, but let's avoid that kind of debacle again. Like that's the goal is to make these key, make these guys believe again that they can be competitive and, you know, being able to get the most out of them in regards to putting good film out there for them, for themselves, for this team or future teams, whatever the case may be. So it was the leadership aspect of Giff Smith that they are really buying into right now. Obviously Johnny team is going to take on a bigger role from a defensive line standpoint and things like that. But I have been told that Kelmore was not approached for the interim job that they wanted to not rock the boat on offense. So the choices were the defensive coaches and obviously Ryan Ficken. So uh, that's what I've been told. All right, guys, any uh, other final thoughts before we head out for today? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I, I'll be interested to see what the Chargers do. Um, as I watch the press conferences now, I'll have to remember to put head coach Kip Smith <laughs> and not head coach Brandon Staley in all my tweets. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, this was a change that needed to happen, as we said, you know, especially after last night. And, you know, um, all due respect to Telesco and, and uh, Staley, obviously, but I hope that, you know, the – I guess consequences of the last few years and the decision making does not hinder them too much as we go into 2024. And um, I hope there is a direction forward where this team can be competitive again. I still do believe in that despite some of the problems they have right now. Um, but this is a start. 
Yeah, I think that's well said, Alex. Arjun, uh, any final thoughts before we head out? Uh, yeah, I think we covered a lot of great things. I think my last thing would just be um, I, I wouldn't I would hope that the you know the firings of Brandon Staley, Lynn, and McCoy doesn't deter the Chargers away from a first year coordinator who might be the best option for them. There are some great candidates out there. I think. You know, I, I've already put it out there. I've said it multiple, or I don't think I've said it multiple times, but you know, Ben Johnson's all, obviously my number one candidate, first year guy. He's called plays for multiple years now. So, look, like just because it didn't work out once or a couple times, it doesn't mean you just completely abandon the strategy of hiring a first year head coach when we've seen guys like Mike McDaniel or Kyle Shanahan or like John Harbaugh, you know, be first year head coaches and, and have, you know, success. So, uh, don't let one, don't let, you know, the Brandon Staley experience kind of deter you away and, and force, you know, force you to sign Jim Harbaugh or Dan Quinn, or even if they are great candidates, just keep an open mind, I think is is my takeaway from this. Yeah, 100% want to keep an open mind. And I think that applies to fans as well. People are already saying like, coach X or bust. But listen, man, like, I think so many of these coaches who are working out around the league, like they are guys who are first time play callers. I mean, look at like what Kevin O'Connell is doing right now for the Minnesota Vikings and the way that he's turned that ship around. Um, so it, it's, I mean, Sean McVay was a very young, you know, coordinator for two years kind of coach. And, and he's arguably one of the top five coaches in the league right now. I mean, look what the Rams are doing with like 37 undrafted free agents on their roster. So uh, keep an open mind. I think we'll do that our best to have that same approach as well as we continue to uh, cover this aspect of things, you know, from a content perspective. Listen, man, like we're, we're going to have uh, a lot of things to cover over the next few months regarding the coaching and GM hires, regarding the free agency decisions, regarding a potential top five draft pick, which this is a great class to have a top five draft pick. There's a lot of great opportunities there. So it's going to be a very interesting offseason to cover. I appreciate Alex and Arjun for jumping on today. Appreciate you guys in the chat for uh, tuning in. Tyler and I will be back tomorrow where we are going to discuss some of our uh, coaching candidates. So we'll get Arjun and Alex's take on that same situation down the road. So that's going to do it for us today, guys. Appreciate, appreciate all of you. We'll see you next time. As always, bolt up.